0: How digitally mature is your organization? Have you transformed your company's processes and practices to improve the experience of both your customers and employees? In this episode of Cocktails, we talk to Altimeter's research director who shares with us their predictions and findings on digital transformation and digital marketing trends, why we should create a transformation management office, determining your company's digital maturity, the intersection of sales and marketing in the digital age, and how to create a more agile content system. We also get a sneak peek at their most recent work, the state of digital transformation in 2021, and how the trends of today will impact the near future.
1: Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation, Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo, and Toro Cloud CEO and founder David Brown.
0: Welcome to episode forty-eight of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo, and joining us from Sydney, Australia, is Toro Cloud CEO and founder David Brown. Good day, David. Good morning, Kevin morning. All right, let me introduce our guest for this episode. Our guest for today is an industry analyst at Altimeter, a profit company where he publishes research and advises companies on digital marketing innovation. His recent areas of focus include content strategy, data-driven personalization, customer experience technology, and multi-channel marketing. He's also researching the new field of augmented and virtual reality. He has frequently served as a moderator and speaker in conferences and panel discussions on the above topics and has been quoted as a technology expert in leading publications, including National Public Radio, CNET, Forbes, Digiday, TechCrunch, and the San Francisco Chronicle. Joining us today for a round of cocktails is Omar Akhtar. Hi, Omar. Great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. So uh, we did a little bit of uh, research, of course, you being a a research director and also Altimeter provides research and advisory to leaders so they may better understand the intersection of technology and business as they move forward. As the current research director at Altimeter, can you tell us about your most significant research accomplishments and their impact?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So when Altimeter was founded, it was really this idea that digital disruption is going to be something that that occurs over and over again. I think back in 2008, we were just seeing the beginning of social media and cloud platforms. And there was this idea that things were were going to change quite uh, drastically. And so Altimeter was founded on the principles of recognizing disruption before it happens to companies and helping companies Uh, A, recognize what that disruption means for them and then getting ahead of it with, uh, you know, guidelines, frameworks. And then the third part of of what we do is we try to go out there and and create benchmarks for what good looks like when it comes to topics like digital transformation, social business, digital marketing, try to find out what good companies are doing in their practices so that companies can A, stack themselves up against them and say, well, this is how good we are. This is how far we have to go. And B, use that as a way to, to chart their path forward. So I would say that if you look at our our most significant research, we've really tracked with the big trends that have happened over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. The first big piece of research published by Charlene Lee, who was our founder, um, was about this idea of social business, the idea that social media is a lot more than just people talking to each other. It's this idea that companies could actually use social media to drive their business. Now, that idea seems pretty... Obvious now, but back then nobody thought of it. They thought that it, well, it's like using, um, you know, people's telephones or they're or, or them talking to each other and, and trying to create a business out of it. But that was her idea back in the time that. Companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, they were creating this way that companies were talking to each other, and there was some that that people were talking to each other. And there was a way that companies could use that to their advantage in a way that didn't seem overly creepy, but seemed a lot more organic. And since then, uh, Brian Solis took on this idea of digital transformation as a whole, which was this idea that everything that we do um, now has a digital component to it. Again, this seems pretty obvious now, but back in, uh, in, in 2013, 14, it was a pretty big idea to say that companies can't just go piecemeal by just getting online or just saying that we are now on the internet. They have to radically transform the way that they exist from their business model to the way that they talk to customers to the way that they innovate their products. It was a whole range of digital transformation. And I think that's been the umbrella that Altimeter stuck with. So under digital transformation, we've looked at the transformation of marketing, the transformation of customer experience, the transformation of sales. Uh, but it all comes down to this overarching uh, ambition to keep charting what digital transformation means. And that really has shifted um, over the last few years.
1: You've, you've written about uh, the digital marketing the convergence of uh, digital sales and marketing tell us about that how how do you guys see those
2: those disciplines converging so i think this really came about the in, in a large way with b2b companies but now it's spilling over to b2c so if you can imagine that in the past it was the marketers only got to do brand work and say, this is the brand and, and advertising and all that. And the salespeople in B2B companies were responsible for actually those one-to-one conversations. But then as things progressed and marketers got a lot better at communicating with customers, they started to harness a lot more data. So now marketers, as you're probably aware, can do that one-to-one marketing. They can send those personalized emails. They can change the web experience depending on who you are. They can reach out to you on social media. They can do all these things in very specific specific targeted ways that only salespeople were able to do. Now, salespeople have a choice. They can either jump on board that ship and and share in in the wealth that comes with it, or they can have conflict. And in my experience, we're we're still in the conflict stage of that, where because marketing and sales have access to the same tools and, and the same audiences, it's really difficult to say, well, where does marketing end and sales begin? And so the paper that we're looking at is, Um, Exactly that, which is to say that these are five or six points where there's either going to be collaboration or conflict between sales and marketing. And a few of those are things like prospecting, who gets to do prospecting, who gets to do the initial reach out, who gets to own the content that the customers see who gets to do lead scoring which is to track how uh, engaged a customer is and who gets to look at the final control of the data and then post purchase who talks to the customer after that is it is it marketing still is it sales is it customer service who does that so in our experience the really good companies have embraced that conflict and said that look for we're we're going to do it our way and it's it, there isn't really a a, a, a a best practice template so much as it is that you have to recognize that there's going to be this conflict or collaboration and you have to see what works for you. Um, But I will say that the companies that, that taking this on, headfirst, have seen a lot of great results from it. Uh, they've, they've seen that their sales force is a lot more engaged. They're a lot more digitally savvy. They're no longer just people picking up the phone or showing up at your house with a briefcase of products trying to sell you stuff. They're doing a ton more work in collaboration with marketing. And that means just better content and a better experience for the customers, too, because they get recognized across marketing and sales uh, rather than being handed off in a way that feels kind of disparate or jarring. So there, it's 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 still a nascent field. We're still seeing a lot more development there, but we're seeing companies that are taking a really great lead in pioneering this collaboration.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the concepts you've talked about uh, are fairly uh, commonplace in the SaaS industry. Uh, they've they've uh, you know, developed that those marketing models and sales models and provide clear boundaries between. Yeah, a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead and the handover process and the areas of responsibility and uh, customer success management and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that all those sort of things, those those models, are you finding that they are uh, less mature in certain industries uh, than maybe some areas like SaaS are pioneering uh, some of these sales models?
2: Absolutely. It works really well for SaaS because they're all using the same digital channels to talk to people. Where it gets complicated is in in places like finance and healthcare, where there's a very clear demarcation between the the marketers and the sellers, and uh, maybe even people that are account managers or post-purchase, which is a whole other breed of people. So um, it's definitely a lot of work to do.
1: In your 2021 Digital Trends and Predictions webinar, your research suggests that digital transformation has become a... Uh, discipline and department. So the, the concept of this department is interesting. You advised organisations to create a transformation management office. Is the mm-hmm. phrase? Tell us about the role of uh, this department in an organisation.
2: So. That would be kind of a best case scenario. A transformation office would be amazing to have. In practice, it's really difficult to do and a lot of companies won't make the investment to do it. So one thing that we've seen in the latest research and and, and what I can tee up for you, we're releasing it later this in, in, in October, is the state of digital transformation 2021. What we found was that there's a clear difference between companies that successfully digitally transformed and companies that kind of had average results. And the number one difference was was that it didn't matter whether they had a transformation office or not. What mattered was was that the CEO was leading the charge as opposed to a chief digital officer or a chief transformation officer or a chief experience officer. It was really important that the CEO and even the board of directors were directly involved in setting the transformation agenda. And so what I would say now is a transformation office is great, but it has to be transformation office that is uh that has some teeth to it that has some backing and resources from the top executives it can't be a transformation office that kind of floats at the mid-level um and it's kind of a conglomerate of folks from different departments in in those cases we've seen we've seen become very ineffective so there's a difference there
1: and so the messaging coming from this ceo as opposed to a chief digital officer or related type of role is that is that the effectiveness of driving the messaging down through the organization, the authority of the voice, what, what is it that made
2: that made the difference? So two things. The first is that you really depend on the CEO to take the company forward. Everybody else in the company is tasked with, with doing their day-to-day operations and even playing catch up in a way. Uh, If you think about transformation initiatives, the CIO is focused on modernizing the technology infrastructure. Chief digital officer is focused on getting things online and, and making sure that the products work in the same way. Chief marketing officer is just trying to beat last year's numbers. Same thing with sales. The CEO is the only one who can really look ahead. And in order to enact a transformation agenda, it has to come from someone who's looking ahead, who's creating some, some sort of a, um, a, a purpose for that transformation. Purpose-driven transformations work. Transformations that are in service of catching up are, are average results. And so it's, it's because the CEOs have the, 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 the foresight of where they want to be. Good ones do, at least. And then CEOs also are the ones that can, can devote the resources that ultimately a good transformation agenda needs.
1: I mean, without uh, creating any spoilers for this research was not not released yet. Were there any uh, surprises in there, which uh, in your findings?
2: I wouldn't say surprises, but it's confirmed a lot of hypotheses that we had had for the last few years. And um, I think now's the time where we've actually been able to collect enough data for 10 years of digital transformation to come out and say that, look, a lot of the stuff that we've thought before is actually coming true. And I'm happy to share a few of those, which won't come as surprises to people, but it may confirm some things that they've always thought of and and, and they can take and move forward. So. We've seen clear differences, as I mentioned before, between those that had uh, great results with their transformation and those that didn't. Um, again, leadership was key. But the other thing was that successful companies really devoted a lot of time to experience, both the customer experience and the employee experience compared to average performers that were more likely to devote their investments to modernizing IT as well as um, uh, creating efficiency in processes. Not that they didn't focus on CX and EX as well. It's just that it wasn't as much of a priority as it was for more mature companies. And so that's a really key differentiator is that when you're transforming the company, um, you usually come into it with this idea of modernizing IT and as you should, and that's typically what digital transformation is meant for the last many years, but doing it in service of something that is customer facing is what we've seen has the biggest results. And so that was a big eye opener for us to see that, look, we've been talking about customer experience and the importance of it ad nauseum for the last few years, but this really shows us that there's a clear difference between people who are catching up and people who are driving ahead. So that was probably the biggest one. And the other one was the the emergence of data and analysis. So successful companies were far more likely to devote resources to managing data. And I think average companies, for whatever reason, lack of resources, lack of the right skills, lack of the right personnel, are not as focused on data. And that's a really, really key thing. And again, as as you're aware, you know, with Toro Cloud, data is a difficult thing to deal with, especially getting it from multiple sources into a single place, integrating it is a really, really difficult challenge. And companies that are that are still just trying to catch up with modernizing their IT infrastructure can't afford to do that. And there's a real gap there for them to leap ahead. So, so those are the things that, you know, we saw coming down the line. And now more than ever, we're really seeing that experience experience was always a priority but if you're not focused on data in 2022 you're really going to fall behind the pack
1: mm. and to on that data there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that. I didn't want to interrupt your train of thought there uh, on that uh, data initiative and the analysis of data uh, should organizations be looking at certain roles uh, to facilitate that analysis of data
2: so you could have a chief data officer and, and certainly we have seen a few companies do that. It's less, um, I would say the, the, the exact role is less important as the organization. So it really pays to have some sort of a centralized data function. So it, that doesn't mean that all the data stays in one department. What it means is that there's one department that is overseeing the data strategy that is saying that, look, um, this is how we do governance. This is how we protect privacy. This is the protocol for integrating data from another party into our party, into our first party ecosystem. This is how often we back up to the data lake or whatever it might be. It's really important for there to be somewhat of a central consensus. And if you think back to the earlier days of marketing, it was really, what we really advocated for was someone who had um, control over the content because everybody's creating content and it paid to have somewhat of a central body, even if they weren't creating everybody's content, having kind of the the, the central governance model of where the content headquarters for the same reason we advocate having a data headquarters inside a company. So so they can make all these decisions that the lines of business or different departments don't have to make on their own. Mm.
1: And the the second uh, success factor you mentioned was the experience. Uh, Mm. And you mentioned customer experience and employee experience. I wanted to dive into that employee experience. What was the differentiator you're talking about there with employee experience?
2: Well, I think one of the big things was was the pandemic. So companies that had focused on employee experience from the start, and in this case, employee experience meant a few things. It meant employee satisfaction, and it also meant Um, Were employees able to communicate with each other using the right tools? Were they able to be productive? Were they able to work remotely if they could? And so that was a, a huge consideration that really blew up in the COVID-19 pandemic. So companies that were in a better place for that leapt far ahead of everybody else. And so what we really say is that when we think about our employees, you have to think about them in the same way you think about customers. Think about their journey when they show up to work. What's the first thing that they click on that has to do with the company? Uh, What kind of data do we capture on our employees that can help us optimize their experience while being at the company? So um, what's important to them? All these Practices that we put in place for our customers, we should be doing for our employees as well. Um, that's been a big source of returns for companies.
1: And of course, it wasn't just about communication and facilitating communication via chat, electronic chat channels or, or the like for remote work. It was also access to systems and resources, right? So, and, and, and of course, the data integration and uh, data management, being able to access the, the right resources to the right people became a critical function overnight because, you know, you, you weren't on the, the company network and you had to overcome those issues. And so there was a whole bunch of uh, technology challenges associated with, with exposing data securely, the right data to the right people, providing a single view of the data. Um, and I think all this boils down to that, into that employee experience and creating a good digital experience for the employee as well. I think it's often overlooked because we talk about with digital transformation, creating new digital products and services, which is very customer centric. And and the customer experience, which is obviously key to the business growth. But uh, a big part of this in our experience has been that employee experience as well. Is that fair to say?
2: Absolutely. No, it's been absolutely crucial.
1: So um, your same study stated that digital transformation is the strategic adoption of digital technologies and practices that increase digital maturity. Uh, this concept of digital maturity, is that something which is measurable? How, how do organizations become more mature?
2: So we every time we do this study, we look for what are called markers of maturity, whether it's digital marketing or customer experience. And there's a few things that we always look for. Um, in this year, A real mark of maturity is the ability to to handle data from multiple disparate sources and the ability to use artificial intelligence to help enhance that data and gain insights from it. Uh, The ability to automate communications, the ability to personalize automated communications, um, the ability to, uh, to have map a customer journey across multiple touchpoints, not just the department that you're in charge of. Um, having a culture that's flexible, that's agile, that's adopting processes at a speed that allows for innovation. Um, having uh, an ecosystem that goes outside of the company, so having a network of data or having a network of apps or having a network of sellers that go beyond the company and having some sort of uh, formal process to deal with them, those are all markers of maturity. So if I were to boil it down, it really, it all starts with, if, if you look at what's the, 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 the core at, at all, the center of all these practices, it's really data management. It's the single biggest differentiator between mature digitally mature companies and not so digitally mature companies. A couple of years ago, if you had asked me this question, I would have told you that the difference between digitally mature companies are, is, is, is really based on presence is how, Digital? Are they in their presence? Are they on uh, reaching customers on the right social media channels? Are they communicating with them in real time? Um, are they are are their websites organized in a way that's customer centric rather than product centric? That was what digitally mature meant back then. It's very data uh, data focused, and I would say um, convergence focused. So convergence means recognizing things that were previously separate are now coming together. So. When we talked about earlier, marketing and sales and service coming together is, is one thing. Um, product and experience and innovation coming together is another. Um, convergence outside. So let's say hotels partnering with credit card companies to share data and do joint targeting. Convergence between complementary companies or convergence between different industries. Uh, recognizing that and moving for that is, is, is another mark of maturity that we're seeing.
1: We've talked about the, a bit about the success factors associated with digital transformation. What about some of the enhances preventing successful deployment of digital transformation in organizations?
2: So the single biggest challenge was budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I think that's no surprise there. Everyone who's involved in digital transformation will tell you that there's never enough. Um, and so that continues to be a problem because uh, for, for a, the results from digital transformation take a long time to surface. Um, you know, you can get some results in a year, but typically it takes about three to four years before you really reap the benefits of it. So, for a long period of time, digital transformation efforts are seen as a cost center. And when something's a cost center, along comes a COVID nineteen pandemic, and you know what happens to cost centers there. So it's it's been a it's been a bit of constraint in companies. Uh, to that credit, haven't said that they're stopping their digital transformation uh, efforts, but they are maybe um, they they're not accelerating them at, at the pace that they may have hoped. So that was a big challenge. The other one is culture and resistance to change. So when you implement a digital transformation program, you're talking about reorganizing hierarchies. You're talking about introducing skills that weren't there before. You're talking about maybe creating products that weren't there before and ways to engage that weren't there before. That's gonna make a lot of people who who don't have those skills and that experience feel very insecure and hence resistant to change. And despite the progress that we've made with, with leadership and, and, and culture and digital literacy, it is always going to be difficult to enact change in any company, especially one that has such a seismic effect on the way that a workforce looks.
1: Do you get into effective strategies with dealing with that sort of cultural change?
2: Well, yes, it's not an area that we have a ton of research on yet, but I can tell you a few things um, that do work. So digital literacy programs definitely work. Um, We find that pilot programs, agile processes where testing and learning, building this culture of testing and learning, bringing the data back in, that tends to work. Um, It also helps if change is holistic and not sequential. So one thing that companies have learned is that because they were so scared of cultural change, they tended to roll out uh, change piecemeal. So saying, let, let's just keep it at this department. Let's only do it at this team. Um, and everybody else is the same. Well, what that does is that actually creates more insecurity between people because they can see this one team getting maybe a lot of attention, a lot of you know resources, while everybody else is kind of being told to just do what they've always done. And so, what we found found a big change from a few times that we've done this in the past is that companies are enacting their digital transformation programs in a much more holistic manner. So it's bring everybody along together at the same time, which is tougher; it requires more coordination, but ultimately. Um, it's, it's a lot more efficient. And also, we're at the stage where we can't afford to wait on digital transformation anymore. We, we don't have the, the, the luxury of time because there's so much to catch up with given how quickly everything is accelerating. So doing it sequentially is going to slow everybody down.
1: You've been doing these this monitoring the digital transformation um, initiatives for organisations for several years now. I'm guessing you've seen the progress of that. We talked about the maturity and where the progress of where companies are in that maturity pipeline. Mm-hmm. Generally, where are we at? I've asked this question of a few of our guests, and I, like, it's interesting to see the perception of within this transformation initiative, are we getting to the
2: end of it? Are we just beginning? Where,
1: where are we at in that timeline and that maturity?
2: So that's one question that I don't have a great answer for you because the truth is, Think of digital transformation as a never uh, as a never static goalpost. So anytime you make any progress towards it, the goalpost changes and it moves. So comp- I, I think there are companies that will tell you that they are successful. And I think um, when we did our study, we found that for the most part most companies around the world, we did the study, um, sadly, not in Australia, but we did do it in um, in China, in, in Europe and North America. And we found that for the most part, things that were pretty sophisticated, maybe three or five years ago, companies were getting pretty good at. So personalized messaging, um, e- using customer data, mapping customer journeys. But Again, that was groundbreaking three years ago, and and now everybody's doing it. What's groundbreaking now is is completely different. And so you're never quite going to reach the end of digital transformation by design, but you can see whether you are ahead of the curve or behind the curve. And I would say most companies right now are are slightly ahead of the curve. I think the the speed at which um, there's a lot more information sharing now than there was maybe five years ago and the way that people understand trends and and people have gotten better at spotting trends than they may have uh five years ago and so i would say they're slightly ahead of the curve but are we at the end of digital transformation probably never
1: Mm. i know your organization in particular uh, spend uh quite a bit of time on uh digital content marketing and sales. Uh, you produced a 2001 State of Digital Content Report um, where you talk about the establishment of an agile content system. What's, what is an agile content system?
2: So if you can imagine in, in the world that you're in right now, you're probably seeing so much more content in five minutes than, you, than was ever produced in the last 10 years of your life. And it's insane how much content there is over there. And companies can't just compete with their competitors. They're having to compete with, with Netflix, with, with Google and Amazon, anybody else that's producing content out there. So because of that, companies are are really forced to increase the production of their digital content. It used to be that you could just put out, you could just have a blog or you could just put out a few tweets or just have some fun stuff on social media, but companies are realizing that having great content, especially B2B companies, is a strategic differentiator. And and so what they've decided to do is is to say that there's got to be a better way to meet the demand of producing so much content. And so doing the research, we realized that there was um, companies that were doing this well were using what we would call an agile content system, which is a series of practices that allows companies to scale content at a rapid pace, but also have it be Um, high quality, so it's personalized and data-driven, and achieving goals for multiple departments. So the three characteristics of of an agile content system are that it allows you to create a lot of content very quickly, it's personalized, and it's delivering on business goals that go beyond brand awareness. So it's actually driving revenue. And there's five components of an agile content system. The first is you've got to have the right goals and metrics. So success metrics that go beyond brand awareness or views or likes, something that actually moves the needle. You've got to have the right creation and personalization tools. So the the ability to recognize data and create personalized content, maybe even use AI to do some content creation. You've got to have the right organization and governance that allows you to create to have a center of excellence but allows multiple centers to create content at the same time rather than it being bottlenecked in one area you've got to have the right compliance and review process which means that it's not just Um, here, Mr. Editor, or here, Mr. Lawyer, look at our content, send it out. It's got to be a modular content, a quicker process than that. And then finally, you've got to have the the right systems to store and backup content. So using AI for tagging it, putting it in a digital asset management system so that multiple folks can access it. Those are the kinds of things that make up a modern agile content system.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I used to talk about how... Companies, they produce widgets and they become sausage machines that are producing those widgets. And they got good at it. and then they needed to become software companies in order to facilitate producing those widgets. and now they need to become media organizations in order to uh, to, to market those widgets. And the challenges keep on growing for organization. Are you finding the way uh, changes to the way people are consuming the the, the content and the way they they want to consume content develop? by
2: organizations well initially our hypothesis was that everybody wants shorter content and everybody wants video um so basically everybody wants tiktok what we found is that that's not actually the case we found that there's a really wide variety in people's preferences and it really depends on the kind of company that they're talking to so for example i'm sure people would love to see this podcast from toro cloud or or maybe they would like to see a white Paper uh, from a SaaS company because it's fairly in depth. They've got the time to indulge in it, and and it, and it gives them some sort of value for their money. Now, would they expect the same thing from from a Walmart or a Target? Uh, probably not. Or, or even Coca-Cola. From Coca-Cola, they want uh, you know high-flying content. They want excitement, and they want brand-focused content. So uh, it really depends on the type of company you are and the type of audience you're reaching and the time that you're reaching them. So what the context off that engagement is. So um, I, I would say that we, 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 we used to have a lot, you know, data saying that, look, videos that are under two minutes are good or, and, and either go very big or very small, but there's really such a wide variety in the way that people consume their content, that there's something for everyone. And the key for companies is to realize what their customers need and, and not what the general public needs.
1: And you mentioned that timing of the content. I assume you're talking about there, like a developing a content funnel for where they are in the journey, the, the whether the, the the customer journey. Is that what you, is that what you're referring to?
2: Absolutely, it's extremely powerful to reach the customers with the right content, the right piece at the right time. Um, that's when we've seen, you know, it, it really, really flies off the page when you are able to recognize when someone's looking for something and deliver it to them in that exact moment, not whether that's an email or whether that your website simply is architected in a way to, to, to intuitively guess that. Uh, those are very powerful ways to reach customers.
1: Omar, there's so much we could talk about. You, you've you've researched so many interesting things and have uh, discovered so many interesting trends. are on top of on top of uh, areas of digital transformation, sales and marketing, and digital content development. Where can our listeners uh, uh, follow you and and listen to what you're writing and, and research publishing research topics about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, follow me on Twitter. It's at O-B-A-K-H-T-A-R. Follow Altimeter Group on Twitter. Uh, You can also follow our parent company, Profit. They're the ones that put out a lot of our research. Um, And and really, you know, come to our website, Profit.com slash Altimeter, where we've got our latest research up there. Sign up for our emails. That's the best way for people to get our latest research directly in their mailboxes um and uh and invite us to your your podcast we'd love to talk about this stuff you know unlike a lot of other uh research companies we actually do give our research away for free because we believe that it's open research and it should be going out into the market and and, um, and creating that sort of discussion so you can download all our research for free if you come to our website all we ask is your email address and your name that's brilliant. And of course that's
1: profit with a ph not a F I T. So P-R-O-P-H-E-T dot com. Omar, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure.
2: David, Kevin, it's been my pleasure as well. Thank you for having me. Take care.
0: All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Coding Over Cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at ww. ToroCloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for ToroCloud. On behalf of the team here at ToroCloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!